Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 236 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark and Kevily, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. This week, Matt is out on a business trip, so uh, Nick Whitaker is joining us again. So thanks for stepping in again, Nick. Always good to be here. As always, we will quickly review the month-to-date and year-to-date, obviously the same in January, performance numbers of the major uh, market indices that we track, and this data is from YCharts as of the market close on January 24th. S&P 500 index up 2.1% to start the year. Dow Jones Industrial Average up 0.3%. The NASDAQ Composite Index up 3.1%. The Russell 2000 small cap index down 3.2%. The Vanguard All World X United States ETF down 1.8%. Three month treasury rate sitting at 5.44%, two year treasury rate at 4.34%, and the 10 year treasury rate at 4.18%. Uh, big headlines, current events from this week, Nick. Um, Stocks uh, had a pretty solid day uh, for the most part yesterday um, after gains in tech stocks after some earnings reports. Uh, Shares of Netflix uh, rose as much at one point as 11% in pre-market trading um, after the firm said yesterday it signed up 13.1 million customers in the final three months of 2023. Um, So this was the streaming giant's best quarter of growth since viewers were stuck at home in the early days of the pandemic. So uh, Netflix getting back to uh, its growthy ways. Uh, But then uh, Tesla also reported last night, and it looked like, uh, Nick, that that report was uh, taken negatively by the market. Uh, I don't know what Tesla is doing right now, but I can probably tell people what it is doing yeah, pre-market and it's getting creamed down eight and a half percent so yeah it's you're, you're gonna see a, a bit of a yo-yo effect in the markets today would be my expectation um tech really got a bid yesterday from netflix earnings and you're gonna see kind of that undone you're gonna see a reversion trade today in the in the tech market especially uh and and there's a lot more um coming in the pipeline with earnings. So just be aware of that, listeners. You're going to see a lot of headlines. You're going to see a little bit of volatility, um, especially kind of in the tech sector and little pockets of the tech sector over the next probably week, week and a half. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, we got some big earnings reports coming uh, over the next two weeks. So uh, volatility might be a little elevated um, until those are over. Um, last thing, uh, Wednesday morning, the People's Bank of China, uh, their governor said that uh, the nation will cut the reserve requirement ratio for banks in early February by 0.5 percentage points. Um, this is a move to kind of stimulate the economy, get more money flowing around um, because China uh, hasn't been in a great spot here recently, and that's shown in their stock market. So um, trying to to stimulate growth over uh, in China. 
I saw an um, interesting, uh, on that note, I saw an interesting stat this week that India's stock market officially surpassed uh, China's stock market as far as uh, wow. yeah, market cap on uh, on the exchanges. So I'm sure, I'm sure they didn't love that over in China. So right. we'll, we'll see. That's been a little bit of a... Turn that around. Yeah, China's been um, weighing a little bit on global stocks, uh, you know, XUS. When you think of those numbers that we quoted at the beginning of the podcast, uh, the Vanguard FTSE All Worlds down 1.8 relative to the U.S. markets up, you know, call 2%. Um, China's been weighing on that a little bit. Right, right. Uh, moving on to tweets, articles, and research from this week. First thing I had was a tweet from Seth Golden on January 11th. And Jenna will throw this up on the YouTube page. He says, uh, rate cycle and recession. The average duration from the first rate hike to a, to a recession is 27 months. The average duration from the last rate hike to a recession is nine months. The average duration from the first rate cut to a recession is three months. And he says the consensus data estimates a recession in Q2 of 2024. Um, so if you think about it, Nick, the market is pricing in, at least as of earlier this week, four rate cuts at some point throughout the year. And the big thing that sticks out to me in this data set is the average duration from the first rate cut to the next recession is only three months away. Um, so if we see a rate cut and possibly we see a yield curve inversion, that could mean that a, a recession is coming sooner rather than later. Um, but until those things happen, you know, I don't really think uh, we need to be worrying about this too much right now. Um, just my personal opinion, but I just thought it was interesting that Seth put this data out, uh, because everyone is waiting for that recession mm -hmm. shoe to drop, so to speak. Everyone expected yeah. it was going to be last year. It didn't happen. Uh, and people are still waiting for that to happen. So, um, I think, you know, after you get your first rate cut, that's a, a sign that it's coming. And then when longer dated U.S. Treasury bonds are yielding more than shorter dated U.S. Treasury bonds, that's another sign that it's coming. And, and those things haven't happened yet. So um, definitely things we're going to be paying attention to, but uh, not as uh, of much concern right now. Yeah, yeah, it's something that the market is, you know. Strategists have been kicking the can on this and moving things around. It's it's very difficult to predict. This is a strange, kind of a strange environment we're in. So I, I actually have yeah, a piece on this a little bit later. That's kind of entwining. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, second thing I had, Nick, I think you'll get a kick out of this one. This was a tweet from Frankel, Franklin Templeton on January 10th, which will also be uh, up on the video for people to see. Uh, they tweeted hashtag new profile pic, and it is the uh, Franklin Templeton logo with laser eyes, um, which, uh, you know, is kind of concerning. Uh, so if people don't know anything about this, uh, a lot of people that are Bitcoin bulls or um, Bitcoin enthusiasts uh, a year or two ago, I think it was, Nick, they all changed their their Twitter profile or X profile pictures to have these laser eyes, you know, uh, on Twitter. And I guess that that meant that, you know, if they were super bullish 
Bitcoin or or whatever. And now you have a a major <laughs> financial institution <laughs> yeah. uh, doing the same thing. And this was in response to uh, the Bitcoin ETF, spot Bitcoin ETFs being approved uh, for the first time. I think it was last week or, or, or two weeks ago. Um, and since the approval of those ETFs, uh, I think Bitcoin's down like 20% or something. Um, so a nice little contrarian indicator, at least in the short term from Franklin Templeton. But, uh, you know, this is something that retail traders are going to be paying attention to because it's much easier now to buy or have exposure to Bitcoin in your retail trading accounts. Um, instead of setting up, you know, an account at Coinbase or another crypto trading firm, um, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to do with major U.S. financial institutions. Um, so I thought this was interesting. Uh, you know, when they when they posted this, I was like, oof, this over the next couple of weeks, at least Bitcoin, I would if I had to guess if I was a betting man, wouldn't wouldn't do too well, because typically when people get this excited about things, um, it doesn't turn out too well. Yeah, or or it's it's gonna ride a hot streak for a little bit and then absolutely plunge. <laughs> yeah, you see that yeah. a lot when when things are in the and unnecessarily in the headlines. But yeah. Franklin Templeton, Templeton is they're they're huge. They're one and a half trillion dollars, um, and yeah. it's broken up. They have a, a ton of notable subsidiaries: Putnam Investments, you know, Franklin Advisors is a really big one. Um, some of like the big this is an example of one of the big institutional money managers that that I know listeners have heard us refer to. They have um, a number of major institutional money managers kind of under that umbrella of Franklin Templeton. So it is interesting yeah, yeah. to see it's, this kind of like hot take. <laughs> yeah, it's tweet. it's just one of those things where, you know, it's again, people on the outset might not think it makes a whole lot of sense because last year, like no one was talking about crypto and Bitcoin, right? And it was up over like a hundred percent. And then just to start this year, you have a crypto ETF, e several crypto ETFs, I think like 11 or 12 that have been approved. So that means more access uh, to cryptocurrencies for the everyday person. And most people would be like, oh, that should be a good thing for, for Bitcoin. And yet, you know, since that has been announced, it's, it's down 20%. So, um, not always, uh, things aren't always as they seem in the markets, which we know all too well. Indeed. Um, last thing I had, Nick, was a tweet from Charlie Bellello on January 22nd. Uh, Jenna will throw this up. Charlie says the S&P 500 closed at an all-time high last Friday, while the Russell 2000 small cap index was still in a 20.4% drawdown. That's the largest Russell 2000 drawdown we've ever seen with the S&P 500 at an all-time high. What happened the previous largest Russell 2000 drawdowns when the S&P 500 was at a record high? Both indices would rally higher over the next year with the Russell 2000 outperforming and joining the S&P 500 at an all-time high. This happened in April of 1999 it happened in february of 1991 and january of 1985 and over the next year uh the russell gained 
let's see, uh, 36.5%, 35.5%, and 18.2% when we've been in similar circumstances. So um, it is a little bit abnormal for um, a major market index to be so far off an all-time high when the S&P 500 is making an all-time high. Um, but I, it doesn't seem like it's all bad news because this has happened before and the Russell tends to catch up at, at some point. Um, and I think as you see breath get better, meaning more stocks participating to the upside, hopefully this year rather than last year, um, that the Russell will, will catch up rather quickly. Yeah, I think in part, some of this price action has to do with what the market is trying to tease out and predict with when will the recession come and when will the rate cycle turn, uh, particularly the recession piece, right? Um, it's almost like the market's really w waiting for a catalyst to start bidding up the small caps um, as opposed to getting into that trade really early. Um, I'm sure there's there's you know major institutions that are already very long on small caps, mm -hmm. for example. But um, yeah, I think it it could just take a catalyst before we kind of see that catch up. Yeah, um, and it's kind of interesting because typically all caps lead coming out of a recession, right? It's a mm -hmm. risk on yeah. trade. So maybe in this maybe in this recession, it look, just looks more like hey. The Russell 2000 small cap index holds up a little better than, you know, the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or the Dow, which would be uh, not not normal uh, from right. what we've seen in a recession. But, you know, maybe that's already kind of priced into the small cap weakness we've seen over the past couple of years. So um, definitely something we will be watching. But I will uh, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, this this works well, kind of going into my my piece here. Um, this is, uh, actually all of my research pieces I picked up from different kind of Bloomberg sources. Um, um, this is, uh, from Bloomberg odd lots newsletter. Uh, it's, uh, kind of an opinion based newsletter from Tracy Alloway, Alloway and Joe Weisenthal. Uh, I like Joe's, Joe's stuff a lot. Um, he's a, he's a good writer, um, has some good takes. So this is uh, a piece. Um, kind of within the newsletter, it's kind of a long thing uh, that I that I grabbed. It's interesting to think about this in context of you know, the recession and the rate cycle, and there are many different opinions and and what will happen. And you know, we've been talking about this for it seems like I don't know months and months and months, maybe even a year, where it's like okay. You know, the economy is strong, but we keep talking about a recession. What's going on here? When are we going to kind of get there? And, you know, but the market is, you know, already gone through that trough in you know, 2022 and kind of came back in 2023. So kind of like what's going on. Remember back during like the technical recession where we had those two quarters of GDP? Was that the recession? Have we already had it? There's been all kinds of debate about that. So um, Joe says the following in this uh, in this um newsletter the stock market is not the economy you hear this line over and over again and i guess it's true but as i've argued before in this newsletter and elsewhere it's not not the economy 
a little bit of humor there uh, for listeners. In other words, when thinking about whatever you want to call the economy, you can't just ignore the stock market as if it has no bearing on anything. And so to start, it's worth noting that the S&P is near all-time highs right now. Um, High stock, prouder, uh, high stock prices matter in all kinds of ways. For one, there's the wealth effect. People look at their portfolio retirements. They feel more secure, more inclined to spend. When stock prices are high, managers don't feel as much pressure to cut costs uh, and show investors that they're taking some sort of swift, bold action. Remember a year ago, we we're seeing all the tech layoffs. Many of these companies like Meta have seen stunning turnarounds in their share price over the last year. Uh, Jenner will throw up a couple of charts here, but this Meta chart will kind of show that dramatic turnaround. And, and we've seen this, this chart's very normal um, across a lot of major players, kind of seeing that big, I would call it a little bit more of an elongated V relative kind of to like the COVID that we saw. Um, continuing with what Joe says, it's unlikely that the company Meta will be doing any big wave of layoffs as at the levels that we're seeing, high stock prices also represent a currency for corporate acquisitions, so they will allow for more robust deal activity. What he means by there is merger and acquisitions, for those that don't know. High stock, process, high stock prices also mean a wider IPO window. Uh, IPO is initial public offering. Um, whenever smaller companies go public to gain more access to the debt markets. Uh, this means more opportunity for private companies to get a liquidity event. There's also still ambiguity over the state of the economy, obviously. The recent jobs report had some hints of weakness, uh, although initial jobs claims have been solid. Um, but it would be weird, given, this, given the top chart, S&P 500 being so strong, if it turned out that we we're on the doorstep of a recession. And that's kind of how he, how he ends it there. It would be weird, given where we are, if it turns out we're on the doorstep of a recession. And I think this is what the market's really trying to figure out. And and you know we're we're talking about the the rate cut in March, and you know the market really wanting that and expecting that. And you've seen Fed uh, Fed officials come out over the past few weeks and 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 really try to throw some cold water on that. And it's just because you know, we're not there. The economy's still strong, and and inflation's you know there's still some work to be done. So. Um, and a lot of talk about this, but there's just a, a bit of a kind of devil's advocate take for you guys while also, you know, talking a little bit about the stock market. So I like that piece. Yeah, I agree. It'd be very weird um, because, you know, Matt and I were talking yesterday, the most bullish thing, the you know, a stock or a market can do is be making an all time high. And a lot, there's a lot of people out there that, that a recession is not that far away. So that would be weird. And number Two, to make it even weirder, um, you know, if the Fed cuts rates in March while we're hovering around all time highs, that would make the situation even weirder, right? <laughs> yeah, like it, that's a, a stimulative measure that they take. And, uh, you know, and the market would be close to an all time high. Yeah. And it just it seems it seems like uh, the powers that be the the big big powerful players in the market it almost seems like they always want an easier monetary policy right always yeah. you know they they want free money they can make more money when money's cheaper right um and it's i was kind of shocked over the past quarter when when they're forecasting rate cuts in march i'm like there's no way you know there's yeah. just no way um you know the ecb still, still hasn't cut yet right so um it's interesting. It's just interesting to see. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of see how it how it plays out. Um, do you have anything else to add before we kind of move on? No, 
No. Nope. Uh, the, the next piece I have, I, I lied earlier when I said all my pieces were from Bloomberg. Uh, this is actually from Vaxet. Uh, so sorry about that. I'm calling myself out. Um, it's just checking in on earnings thus far. It's a, a, a tweet from Factset. Uh, yes, the SPX, uh, S&P 500, is reporting its lowest net profit margin since Q2 of 2020. Um, I have a little disclaimer here for listeners that when we show this chart, please keep in mind that this chart could change. There are still very major companies that have yet to report, um, like at least at least like half of the top 10 companies in the market have yeah. reported um, you know yeah. apple amazon microsoft google to name a few so this chart is subject to change um but it does show you know we we are you know moving along in the, in the earnings cycle here so uh, it, it is interesting to see that the profit margins are down this is the kind of activity that you would expect to see kind of leading into uh, a recession more so kind of leading into rate cuts um i i do expect this chart to to come up a little bit um full disclosure that's an opinion uh of mine um but but we'll see it's something that that uh investors keep a very close eye on is profit margins and the c-suite as well of course so we'll uh, we'll see what happens here. Yeah, and I don't, you know, people have been calling for peak profit margins for a long time, and you know, Matt's been on this soapbox talking about that for a while. But um, it's not necessarily a timing mechanism, in my opinion. Uh, profit margins. So even if it, yeah, you know, it dips for a quarter, it could come right back the next quarter. So, yeah. um, and you know, remember too, we've been coming off of a very high inflationary environment so you would expect profit margins to be less than average right now yeah yeah exactly my last piece is just kind of an interesting thing i saw this week on union union memberships at a decade low um there's been a lot in the news on on the union deals over the past year um but I've not seen a chart like this. Uh, so I just thought it was kind of interesting and just to kind of educate listeners. Uh, this is from Bloomberg and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So it says the following, U.S. union membership hit a record low in 2023, even as labor capitalized on high profile talks with automakers and actors and won the biggest raises in years. Lenders like United Auto Workers President Sean Fain remained hopeful and set audacious goals for 2024 and beyond, looking to organize companies like Tesla. So you, there's been a lot in the news about about the UAW um, and, you know, winning, you know, having some big wins. Um, but sometimes it's nice to check in on the big picture um, uh, on unions. And this chart does just that, uh, which, you know, I love a big picture historical chart. This one goes back to the 80s. Um, says a U.S. membership ticks down to fresh record lows. This is the percentage of U.S. workers that are members of unions, um, which you can see pretty clearly has has declined substantially over over decades, from you know 20 percent back in the 80s, all the way down to about 10 percent um, present. Um, so just kind of nice to you know remind listeners of the big picture, and uh, you know you can you can go chasing a, a union job. Um, but there are always risks uh, mm -hmm. associated with with uh, with such positions, um, right? Fortunately right. I, or, or unfortunately, however you want to, it probably just depends on the shoes that you're standing in there. But mm -hmm. this is the big picture of of unions, and we saw this, 
you know, back in the 80s, whenever things started to change and a lot of it um, just got down to, you know, companies and, and capitalism and searching for for better ways to uh, to increase profit margins. Right. That's mm-hmm. probably what what triggered a lot of the changes in this space. Yeah. And I think the other thing um, is that, you know, I usually say on this podcast that either things make sense to me or they don't make sense to me. And this is a chart that makes sense to me because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you think about it, unions were put in place to protect workers, right? Physically, number one, and then, you know, protect workers' rights and and all that. And obviously with the uh, acceleration and innovation of technology these days, there's, you know, not much as need for the physical protection, right? Um, So it's no, it's no, uh, surprise to me that, you know, union membership, uh, is trending down towards a, a record low. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, moving on to the financial planning topic of the week, um, pretty simple one, I guess, Nick, compared to some other ones that we've done, but this was from, um, a blog post from Thomas Koppelman on December 19th titled options for how to manage your finances as a married couple. And I don't think it's a secret that there's really uh, only three options here. It's either, you know, keeping your finances completely separate, keeping them 100% combined or a hybrid of both. So um, he had a blog post on this, just wanted to read a few points uh, from it. So uh, obviously the first option, finances are completely combined. So this means that no matter if both spouses work or only one does, that all income goes into one shared joint checking account and all your bills, savings, and investing, you know, come from this, uh, from this account. So, um, pretty easy there. Number two is the complete opposite, keeping finances completely separate. You each have your own, uh, bank accounts, you each pay your own bills, um, or, if the income, you know, if, if one spouse, spouse number one is bringing in 70% of the income and spouse number two is bringing in 30% of the income, then bills and mortgages are, are split that way as well. But the interesting one, uh, to me at least, Nick, was number three, the hybrid method. So he says, this method is the one that I'm seeing more and more often with newly married couples. It begins with opening a joint checking account and perhaps a joint credit card. Both spouses still maintain separate checking and savings accounts. Each spouse contributes a certain allocation of their income to that joint account to pay shared bills. You'll use the joint credit card for joint expenses and then pay off the balance using the joint checking account. The hybrid method allows for a bit uh, of a time buffer between truly combined finances and entirely separate. Over time, most married couples share their assets. The great part about this hybrid method is that after you've allocated to the shared account, you still maintain some degree of financial freedom to spend your remaining surplus on things you might want, but your shared needs are being met. Joint savings accounts are great for saving uh, for shared goals as well. There are a ton of financial decisions you will be faced with as a couple going forward. As you begin this journey together, you'll need to find a strategy that works for you. Give each of these methods some consideration and determine what's going to work best. Communication is your first priority. Make sure you're on the same page and be open about your goals. It will save you time, money, and emotional stress in the long run. And that was a thing I think, Nick, that I wanted to get the point across to people is, 
you just have to do what works for you and you have to be communicating about it and be transparent about it because, you know, something that works for, you know, me and my wife, for example, might not work for Matt and Rachel or might not work for you and Haley. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, it, it depends on the type of person that you are and you just need to get on the same page about it because tell you what, man, we've seen it firsthand. Money does some funny things to people, right? And if you're not communicating about it and you're not having an open and honest discussion about it, you're going to run into problems. So uh, it's better to uh, take care of that and have a conversation about it and get on the same page uh, than just kind of push or kick the can down the road, so to speak, um, until you actually have a problem. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've, uh, I think probably everyone, everyone out there has, has gone through, you know, I, I mean, maybe not everyone. I would say everyone who's been in a long-term relationship, maybe let's call it above mid twenties has maybe even run into, into issues with this. This is part of life, right? It, uh, it happens to all of us. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, and, and we've talked about this a couple months ago, maybe uh, maybe towards the end of the, uh, end of last year, about kind of refreshing your budget and looking at your financial, uh, you know, personal finances, kind of year end or every year, whatever time works best for you. Um, you know, this this comes into play, um, and just putting it all on a, you know, maybe you're a pen and paper person. That's fine. Personally, I'm an Excel guy, so you know, having it all in Excel and you know, sitting down with with your partner and kind of looking at it and just breaking it down, you know, maybe one person's a little bit more, uh, you know, strong in the budgeting area and, and whatnot. And um, just being able to see it really helps a lot. And, and you know, the big thing for for us, I, I know for you as well, is, okay, let's make sure the, you know, the retirement savings and all of that. And, you know, Precisely. let's make sure we're contributing properly to the 401k. And, okay, mm-hmm. hey, I think we should, we need to bump that up a little bit. If yeah. I think it's time. Things, things like that. So Yeah, and in addition to that, like making sure, you know, retirement accounts are taken care of. But then, you know, sitting down and having a planning meeting about, hey, what are – our priorities this year. Like, do we want to go to Italy or do we want to go to Hawaii? Or is it, Mm -hmm. is there a family member that's having a a 50th birthday or a 60th birthday and there was going to be a family trip, but we also want to renovate the basement. It's like, okay, well, we can't do all of these things, right? So we need to prioritize what things are most important to us this year. And there's not a right or wrong answer, but there has to be a priority, especially if you can't do all of it. So, um, definitely. Haley and I I did that exactly this year. We're like, yeah, it's not going to, we're not going to work on the house this year. We're going to take a vacation. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, so it all, it's all, you know, and again, there's not, there's not a wrong answer. It's just making sure you have the conversation. Absolutely. So, um, well, we're going to leave it there for the week. Anything else before we sign off, Nick? Uh, n- nothing else for me. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, I hope uh, uh, listeners enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to episode number 236 of the Independent Advisors podcast. 
hope you all have a great rest of the weekend and we will be back with you next week for episode number 237. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of The Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.